welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable, where this week we're going to be talking about integration techniques. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, here with fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how's everything? I'm good, Marty. How are you? Living the dream, Wendy. So excited to be here. And I hope that this topic will give some people some new ideas on how to maybe tweak their programming just a little bit. Yes. And Marty, I mean, you and I both teach for uh, Penn West University, and, and this is an area in our classes that I know some people kind of have questions about. And we've seen some questions on our Facebook page. And, you know, I think this hopefully will help clear some questions um, that we have gotten in the past. So we're bringing, um, bringing this forward and want to say thank you for all the emails that we get because they do help us you know, with the topics that we choose each and every week. So I'm excited about this one because it's important, especially when you're looking at the corrective exercise continuum. Without a doubt. And I think that if you can choose the right integration techniques, it's great for targeted warmups, movement preparation, as well as then really getting that change in the movement that you're looking to elicit from what you saw in your assessments. Yeah, and I think it's important too, just to state before we even kind of dive deep into that actual component of, you know, the four-step process, this being number four, if you will, um, that the corrective exercise continuum can be kind of put on top of, your, you know, looking at it as your warm-up. It's a very specific warm-up for each and every client that you have. And so if you are one of our NASM CPTs and you're looking um, to further your education, the corrective exercise specialist that NASM offers, I think is super, super important. I know it's one of those things I'm very passionate about, Marty, you are as well, because if there is some kind of compensation that you're noticing in the assessment, and we know exactly what to foam roll, we know exactly what to activate, then the integration is kind of the total body exercise that's going to blend in before you get to the resistance part. So if you do have both and you want to know how to integrate it, that's the best way the easiest way. And like Marty said, you know, you can take bits and pieces here, but this really does make it very specific to each need of what, you know, each person needs based on, on their exact assessment. Yeah. Being able to truly isolate, you know, where their weaknesses are and then find really great integration exercises and having a range of those really changes the outcomes for your clients. Indeed. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the importance of integration techniques and as Marty talked about a little bit um, just a minute ago exercises versus movement patterns and then we're going to talk about some of our favorites. Yeah I think that um, you know that, that kind of tells everything it's you know in a way it's a pretty simple topic but there's a lot to it really understanding how to isolate those proper integration techniques. Yeah. And so I think it's important too, when we talk about the, the exercise continuum, the corrective exercise continuum, you know, when you do your assessment and you notice that there's compensation, you know, this helps us identify exactly what to inhibit. So what are we trying to foam roll? And this takes the guest workout. It's also going to let you identify if you put in, and clients usually have more than one compensation as you guys have seen. Um, so when you're looking at the commonalities, if, you know, the feet turn out, the knees cave in, you know, hitting the short head of the bicep femoris as well as the lateral gastroc is going to be really important. But then you've got to think about the, you know, um, as soon as you inhibit it, so you're down regulating, then you're going to go into lengthening that. So we're trying to elongate those muscles that have shown to be overactive and you're not static stretching just for the sake of static stretching. You're very specific on what you're targeting and why. 
But it, once you do that and you elongate the overactive muscles, it's important to think about the other side. And that's when we start talking about activation. But now we've got this newfound length. We've lengthened what is, you know, our brain knows to be overactive or showing us based on movement compensations. We're now activating the other side to try to realign the joint. But then we need to get our brain caught up. And so that's kind of where we get into the integration part of connecting the upper body and the lower body. So when you're thinking about integration, that's what we're trying to do. Integrate those proper movement patterns now that you have better alignment at the joint. So therefore, it knows how to work with its synergists and the prime movers and work together in harmony. Because as we know, the kinetic chain is the entire body and we need everything to understand the new movement pattern. And I think part of the importance of this is we'll date ourselves here a little bit, Wendy, even though you and I came from a performance background, fitness originally when we came out was very segmented body part by body part. There wasn't a lot of integration exercises involved, you know, it'd be from a leg extension to a leg curl to a leg press. That would be somebody's lower body workout. But with the rise of high intensity training and other training modalities, the good news is a lot of people are doing total body exercises now, but they're just not doing them correctly and then they're building into total body faulty movement patterns. So this is why I think this topic is really relevant for, for today. Yes. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> so then we start talking about intramuscular coordinations versus intermuscular coordination. And so here's just the definitions. These came straight out of the book. So when we're talking about intramuscular coordination, it's the ability of the neuromuscular system to allow optimal levels of motor recruitment or unit recruitment and synchronization of within a muscle. So it's very specific within a muscle. And then when we're talking about intermuscular coordination, it's the ability of the different muscles in the body to work together to allow that coordination more globally. And, and that's when we're talking really about the integration part. So I look at intramuscular coordination a lot during the activation side. We're really focusing and pinpointing one muscle, again, on the other side of the joint that had shown to be underactive. But then when we're talking about intermuscular, it's really making sure, again, our body knows how to coordinate those new movements and, and retrain the brain. Because again, the central nervous system is really what we're focusing on in order to get proper movement patterns. Yeah, and the way we learned it, or maybe sometimes we taught it, was a lot of people at work have an intranet where it's just internal. And then the internet communicates with the whole world. So that's how you can kind of think about intramuscular coordination, very targeted, very specific, very localized versus inter is the entirety of the human body, hopefully. So that was an analogy way. there, Mr. Miller, this morning. I'm done for the day. Wendy, finish up. <laughs> I always have to give you kudos at least once. So there I, you have. <laughs> I, I crave that. Like, I'm like, I'm hoping that I get one per master instructor roundtable. So, I, you, exactly. you know, my heart is warm now. And, and today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, myself, Wendy Batts here with Dr. Marty Miller talking about integration exercises. So again, in the four-step process um, in the corrective exercise, this would be the four steps. So thinking about inter, um, integrating the entire movement patterns with this newfound length and, and now you know trying to get our body to understand how to use it. When we talk about integration techniques, again, just as a definition, it's the corrective exercise techniques used to retrain the collective synergistic function of all muscles through functionality, progressive movements. That's a lot, Marty. That sounds really complicated, but it's really not. <laughs> no, it's not. It really, the key thing that we've talked about, and people can go find other ones of our master truck roundtables, is progressions and regression. You should always know what the next step up or step back is of any exercise, right? It's not like you just have a exercise. 
you may have five, 10, 15 versions of that exercise on a progressive and regressive continuum because maybe the first set you're a rock star and you can go, you know, maybe a little bit deeper here, like you see her going to parallel without compensation. Maybe she does 15 reps. Maybe the second set, maybe fatigue starting to set in and she starts to arch her low back. So maybe we have to limit the height of the squat or different cueing or maybe a little different weight. There, so everything is always on this continuum where we're trying to, in this topic today, do integration exercises, but it's always within ideal form and technique within the five kinetic chain checkpoints at the right intensity, at the right tempo. So that's where, again, you just have to understand that continuum and you should be your first client. So you should be going through all these exercises and say, okay, I'm feeling good today. What would be the next step up? What would be the next step back if I wasn't feeling good or if I had a beginner or somebody more advanced, right? So there's countless difference. And maybe Wendy, this will be another uh, level two we could do to this is where we start talking about progressions and regressions on integration techniques. Today, we're here to talk about the concept of them, but maybe later on we can get into more advanced concepts. And I think it's important too, you know, Marty, as you were talking about the acute variables, guys, the tempo really does help your body understand the movement that you're trying to achieve. And, you know, you're, the way that you can visually see if someone is doing it correctly is looking at those five kinetic chain checkpoints that Marty mentioned. So look, starting at the feet. I mean, in, in A, you can see if you're, if you're watching this, um, that our feet are slightly turned out. So as a correction, you can say, hey, this is what you're doing. I want you to, to just bring your toes in. So you can visually show them or you can tap their inside of their foot and have them bring, you know, bring their toe in. So tactile more, they can feel exactly what you want. And and really just being very concise in the movement patterns. And, and that's what the corrective exercise continuum is about. Very specific, very precise movement patterns to make sure that there's no compensations because, you know, as we're especially trying to now do more total body, these total body or these integration type of exercises are awesome, especially if you're on a time crunch. And so if you've done two or three foam rolls, you've done two or three static stretches, you've done two or three activation, you can do one to two, you know, integration exercises, pick a few body parts, cool down and you're done. And they've gotten a lot out of that exercise. I mean, this squat to row is one of my all time favorites. Um, when we get to our favorites, this would have been number one for me personally, because here we're targeting the glutes, we're targeting the, the quads, we're really targeting the core to make sure against that gravity that we can um, withstand proper um, position of the spine. And then most compensations that we see, a very common compensation is the rounded shoulders and forward head. So doing the row again, focusing on the mid to lower trap and rhomboids as well as maintaining good um, integrity of the, the um, head in relationship to the shoulder, hip, knee, and ankle. That's all really, really important. And, and you're getting a little more um, dorsiflexion with that cable or tubing being in front of you. So it's allowing you to go deeper. So, you know, again, it's one that you can do easily. Um, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be heavy, but if you go down for four seconds, pause at the bottom for two and then come up, and squeeze for one. So, you know, you're standing and rowing for one and then repeating nice and slow. It is one of my favorites to get the lower and upper body talking nicely together. Yeah. And yeah. I brought up high intensity earlier. I think high intensity, maybe this is Wendy, I'm going to make a note. Maybe this is another um, topic we can do. High intensity doesn't always mean dynamic power, ballistic high intensity for someone could be doing this with ideal form and technique, contracting all those muscles the right way 
think about the metabolic demand that has to go up when you're doing an integration technique at a you know slow control tempo, that four two two tempo for 15 reps, that can still be high intensity. It doesn't have to be high impact. So this is where, you know, you and I both love that squats row. It's phenomenal to correct things, but also great metabolically. Yeah. And again, you know, when we talk about different progressions and regressions, there are different ways of doing that. Lightening the load, using a ball, you know, um, you know, if you want to make it more challenging, single leg, single arm, you know, adding rotation, there's a bunch of different ways and techniques, but but again, think about integrating now lower and upper together. So as we go forward and we're going to really start looking at our favorites, you're going to understand why we put these in here. However, there are a ton of my favorites. This, this is one of them. It's like, <laughs> you know, when I see your little guy with his favorite monster truck, they're all his favorites. I, exactly. So it's good. Very so good. I can start with a couple of these. These are ones that I put in. I love any type of farmer carry depends on what I'm trying to do. The one-sided farmer carry, you know, the unilateral versus bilateral helps, you know, especially if somebody's got an asymmetrical shift, you may do one side more than the other. But if you're really doing that with the shoulder retracted, with good gait, you know, right, and the chin tucked, you're really getting a great integration exercise. So there's other ways to do it as well. And then, Wendy, you know, if you want to talk about uh, our picture on the right here. Yeah, I mean, you know, people always assume that, you know, burpees should be in everybody's you know, work out for punishment. And, uh, you know, there is a time and place for me, you know, I sometimes might start someone that's new to exercise, holding, you know, a, a Smith press bar or a bar that's, you know, that maybe they're not completely prone, if they're not, you know, in shape enough to do this, and I'm really working on form. But if you, you know, want to really try to integrate some and increase, obviously, the metabolic demand, then doing burpees correctly, Again, correctly being the big key there, because oftentimes a common compensation are going to be where the shoulder blades will, will wing out. So you really want to make sure that they maintain a flat back. They're always going to want to look up, see who's watching. I don't know what, what the deal is with the neck, but that's very commonly done. Or they'll, when they get tired, will start to hang their head down and they'll tap that front toe on the ground. And in all reality, when you think about this, if you don't do that, it makes it more challenging and difficult. Plus you're maintaining proper five kinetic chain checkpoints. Think about triple extension that Marty and I talk about along with triple flexion. So you can see, I would actually have the guy bring his right foot forward because it's pointed backwards. Everyone's different. It's just, you want to make sure too, that they don't pike at their hip and that they can maintain really good core positioning. So this is more of an, a challenge for someone. And you want to make sure that they can do planks before you really get them into this. And once you know that they can do planks for an extended period of time versus just for reps, this is one that you can integrate um, upper and lower and, and get a little cardio in it as well. Yeah. And again, an integration exercise for one person may not, you know, that might be an activation for somebody else. You can maybe just do a high plank with the push-up plus. That might be integration for somebody where for me, it's more of an activation, right? So if you reverse engineer an exercise, like we've talked about the kettlebell swing, if you can't bridge, if you can't do a plank, you shouldn't be doing a kettlebell swing, right? There are just different versions on that continuum where I'm looking at combining motions and adding maybe speed to it. But if you want to eventually get to a burpee, you can start just with that high plank and then go from there. Mm -hmm. All right, let's see what our next favorites are. So I definitely like both of these different versions of them, but I love, a, again, this is 
not the basic level. This is just a version we like. There are regressions to what we're showing here. So with the lunge with thoracic rotation over the lead leg where I'm getting internal rotation on that hip, that's exactly why we showed this one because everyone needs thoracic rotation. And most people, we talked about this before just recently, most people lack internal rotation. So that's where I would have the person rotate, right? I'm getting more bang for my buck. Now, there are other ways to do this simpler at first, but this is something, you know, mid-level to higher level that I think is phenomenal. Her head's in the wrong position on picture B, but again, we'll look past that. But Wendy and I always have our five kinetic chain checkpoint thoughts in order. And then Wendy, I'd love to see what you think about a side plank. There's different versions of a side plank. And if someone is progress enough, they could do a side plank with the rower getting retraction, but it doesn't have to be that. But you know, hitting that frontal plane stabilization and that course, um, it's also the shoulder stabilization is tremendous. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get stuck in our own ways. I mean, we, you know, you'll see a side plank and they're like, I've done side planks and I'm tired of side planks. Well then do something different that are going to target these muscles. Again, the side plank with the row that you're going to see in that picture on the right, it is definitely more advanced because a, you've got to make sure that somebody can do a side plank without compensating. So without rotating, making sure that the head stays in alignment, making sure that the hips, there's no hip flexion, making sure that they can stack their feet. Sometimes that's really challenging. And as a regression, they can easily have bent the knees and you can still do this and then, you know, same exercise. And then as they get stronger, you know, straighten the legs out. So this is more of an advanced exercise because A, you have to make sure they have good stability in their shoulders. And sometimes, you know, like this individual is probably holding that plank for maybe, you know, 12 to 15, you know, rows, making sure that when they go forward, that they don't roll forward. However, they can bring their arm forward towards the cable, drop their hips, redo a side plank, and then go into a row. So that's what makes it more of an integrated type exercise versus a, let me hold it, maintain it, and then row. You can add different components. It just depends on what the client can handle, what they can do without compensating, because it's always quality over quantity. And I think, you know, we, we can get creative with this. I, I like to do a high plank um, the same way using the cable. And if the cable is on the right of me, I'll take my left hand and have the client bring their arm straight out. So we're working more rear delts as well. So it's, it's only, you can challenge your clients in so many different ways, but doing total body and integrating different body parts all at once really does get bang for the buck. It helps with time, you know, constraints, but it's very, very beneficial because of all the muscles that have to activate in order to do it successfully. Yep. No, I totally agree. And there's other ways you could, you know, um, you, know you could do a high press on that, you know, his right arm, you could do bands where there's perturbation, all kinds of different things. But as we said, just, you know, think about what you're trying to do progressions and regressions, and you're going to, clients are going to love the fact that, oh my goodness, there's another version of this. Yes. And, and I think, you know, when people start to take the corrective exercise, one common question, another reason we're doing this today um, is I feel like I do the same things over and over again. I'm only looking at the book and I'm only seeing so many exercises. Um, just as a reminder, we do have an exercise library on nasm.org under resources that is available to you to look at where, you know, some of us went in, we are showing you guys how to do the exercises, how to cue it and common compensations that you may see. So 
if you need some new exercises and ideas, A, listen to Marty and I every week, number one, and B, check out the resources that NASM provides because we want to give you guys some ways to integrate this, make it fun for your clients, but also make sure that we're targeting the right muscles and having the, the best outcome possible. 100%. And now I'm just going to pause here, even though I would normally pick up from here, but this is absolutely, I, if you know, Wendy, you do bridges and you do lateral tube walking. So I'm not even going to bother until after she does what she does with this exercise. <laughs> so lateral tube walks are one of my all time favorites. Yes. And the reason being is because the glute medius is very, very weak on most individuals. And so for me, I do these integration exercises before every uh, yes, I am going to say this before every phase of training with my clients, they will foam roll, they'll do the type of flexibility, whether it's, you know, uh, static, active or dynamic, and then stretching. And then after that, I immediately have them grab the bands, we do tube walking, and then we do a set of bridges, and it could be ball bridges with weight on it, it could be, you know, some type of hip thrust in order to activate the glutes. Now, again, these are very small muscles when you're doing the lateral tube walking that are, um, we're trying to activate. But this is also an advanced exercise. And that's one of the reasons it's probably not Marty's because it is commonly done incorrectly. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is even in these two pictures, this individual is not doing it correctly. Both of their feet are externally rotated. Even if it's slight, it's wrong. And I want to make sure that they're on skis every single time. So when you're working with a client, you don't have to have them with the heaviest band. They don't have to take the biggest step out the biggest thing is to make sure that they they move as a unit and they're not kind of teapotting or swaying side to side. As you step to the left, your torso and body move to the left with it, making sure as the right knee does not go into valgus or you're not doing some kind of weird hip, like hip shift. So there's a lot to think about. However, if done correctly, it is a wonderful exercise for someone to do. It's easy. The band's easy to travel with and there's multiple things to do, but it is a, an, a muscle, in my opinion, that should be targeted, especially before you really get to power, just to make sure all cylinders are a go. No, I think that's excellent. I agree. It, it's phenomenal when done right, but because it's so easy to do wrong and then you activate the wrong muscles, I just think that people truly need to learn how to do it. And then it's a, a phenomenal exercise. So well, well said. So Marty, let me ask you this. If we go back one more time, um, real quick, Eric, you'll notice that there's two different positionings here. There's one around the ankle and there's one around the knee. What, what do you say? Cause we get this question all the time, which is better, right? Better is better. And what I mean by that is it's ideal form and technique. So you just have to understand, like we talked about with the thoracic rotation, hip and rotation, what are we doing? We're not just seeing something on Instagram and mimicking it, right? The way Wendy and I look at things, we reverse engineer this and tear it apart. So you got to look at where the muscle is in the glute medius all the way at the hip, the lever arm length and where the tension is. So it's going to be much easier to control initially if the band was the same resistance with the version on the right, because you have the load halfway through the lever arm. If you have the load all the way to the foot, the same band resistance now becomes more because of the length of the lever versus where the axis of rotation or force is. So there's not a better, it's what is appropriate form and technique for that individual. So I like to start just above the knees. And then most times I stay there. I'm not saying I would never go around the ankle, but to me, you know, our body will turn into resistance. So if the force is at the ankle, sometimes I see people more 
externally rotate, where if the band is at the knees, they push outward into more abduction. Now I can cue people out of that, but I would say 90% of the time I stay above the knee and just th give them a thicker band if appropriate. Does that meet your approval, Miss Bats? Yes. I mean, I do go by the ankles too, again, yeah, yeah. More at, with the advanced client. And yeah. if I notice that, you know, they really do have good hip strength, I still mm -hmm. want to target that. But I also know that if someone's feet want to externally rotate, I may challenge them by putting it around their ankle because they right. have to really control what they're, what's happening at the foot and ankle, as well as the arch of their foot to make sure they don't go into pronation. So to Marty's point, to me, a regression is starting it right around the knees and then moving the band lower and the cloth bands, I use those probably more now than the rubber bands. And it's, it's mainly because especially with a, a man, they complain that I'm taking the hair off their legs. <laughs> so I see someone three times a week. They're like, listen, I've got patches of skin, or, you know, hair missing. It looks a little odd. Um, the cloth bands also are a little more comfortable. Just, right. just saying. Totally agree. Totally agree. I, I, you know, like I said, I can't say I never do the one around the ankle, but just depends on the person, like you're saying. But now, this one is one of my favorites. I love a straight leg, um, remain single leg, especially Romanian deadlifts. You know, there's a slight bend in the knee, I should say, but having that core stabilization, having that shoulder slightly retracted, so I don't reach and let my, you know, whole torso go into flexion as I'm reaching to the ground, coming up, keeping the core stable, and driving up with that glute. Then from there, you can do presses and other things, but most people here uh, with the version on the left would struggle for 12 to 15 repetitions on that for sure, mm -hmm. especially slow control tempo. Then go barefoot, I dare you, and then try 12 to 20 of those. You know, you, you may not need much more advancement past that. So it's not about how much load you're moving. It's am I perfectly hinging on that stance leg with my core stable not rotating in the transverse plane? you know, it's very challenging exercise. Yeah. And I would say, you know, I usually start people keeping both feet side by side where they're just mm -hmm. slightly elevated. Like you're going to see in the picture they're doing the, where the, um, the floating leg is now going back. And that's what makes it even more challenging because they have to maintain really good positioning of the hips and spine with a longer lever going back. So sometimes that can, can cause low back arching, that, you know, if someone's really tight in their hip flexor, there's going to end up having a lot of compensations. So just think, as, as Marty just said, start with the single leg Romanian deadlift with both of them side to side. So like the, the very beginning picture and all they're doing is hinging with the floating foot. So nothing is moving. And then as, as you get to, you know, pretty dialed in that instead of like to your point, Marty, adding more weight, which yes, definitely makes it harder then try to change it up a little bit. You can let that back leg go back. You can do different things. You can come up and then add a press. So there are different variations of it. The big thing is, is what are you trying to achieve? Really maintaining really good positioning of the foot and ankle. You're squeezing and getting really good um, activation of the hamstring and glute on the left side. But also with that right foot, you know, just make sure too that there's no turning and twisting or it's not done correctly. And so don't let that floating foot go backwards. Right. And there's ways, again, sometimes I'll purposely let my spine go into internal rotation, but it would be a, a, you know, a neutral stable spot or, well, I would say I'm doing turn into internal rotation, but I'm not doing it with lateral, with flexion. I'm just turning my body to get that internal rotation, but my spine would still be in a neutral straight position. So there's always ways you can advance this, but 
if you can get to 12 to 20 of those, you're in really good, a good spot. Yeah. And you also have to think too, if you're working with athletes, what is their, what is it that, that they're doing in their sport and where are they limited? Because internal rotation is a big limiting factor in a lot of clients and athletes that we have that do rotational sports. So to your point, Marty, you know, what is the outcome? What is the client doing and what are they showing on the assessment that's going to help get better movement and quality movement patterns throughout this before we get them into their workout? Right. So Wendy, because key takeaways, I think, you know, there's a lot there. Evaluate the exercises, look at the five kinetic chain checkpoints, try to figure out what you're really trying to accomplish. But, you know, at a high, high level, if people understand intra versus intermuscular coordination, they both have a time and a place. One's not more important than the other, but the sequencing of them is critical. And that's why we have the corrective exercise specialists and we have that continuum. That's why you need to follow it, right? There's no guesswork. Wendy and I, I promise if you watch us work, we're doing our soft tissue work first within our scope of practice, right? Wendy can do hands-on. You know, we might use different tools, but we're attacking the overactive tissue and we're going to lengthen the overactive tissue. Then we're going to do the right specific intramuscular coordination. Then we're going to go into the intramuscular coordination, just as we explained today. And then are we just training for the sake of training or are we doing specific movement patterns versus just random exercises. So you can still get the same intensity. You can still have the same fun. You can still burn maybe even more calories, but just do it with a purpose instead of just doing it randomly. Well said, Marty. Number two. Yes, it's a good day. <laughs> well, guys, if you guys have any questions, again, Marty and I really appreciate the questions that come into us. We appreciate the emails. We appreciate the messages on Instagram. So keep the questions coming, especially if there's a topic that you are, are just stuck on. We want to be able to provide as much education to you as possible. So you can find me via email at wendy.bats at nasm.org or on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And my information coming up from our phenomenal producer, Eric, right on cue, dr.martymiller72. And then email marty.miller at nesm.org. So Wendy, thank you for lending your expertise and knowledge as always. And for those that attended, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And we look forward to seeing you again on a Master Instructor Roundtable.